Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 21st in a series of bonus episodes. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. It seems he went berserk with a shotgun at the weekend after learning that his mother-in-law was planning to give prosecution evidence against him. How can someone who's been tried for such a serious, serious offence be released back into the public? And I think what one has to say in this case is that hindsight is a very wonderful thing. You know everything. It doesn't follow from the consequences of a decision that the decision was wrong. Yes, there should be an investigation, a review, but it may well be that the judge has made on the information before him an absolutely correct decision. The job of the judge is to protect the public, to protect the witnesses, and actually protect the defendant. And two of those three points I think the judge has failed on. Dunstable is the oldest chartered town in Bedfordshire. Set along the Chiltern Hills in the east of England, the market town is surrounded by beautiful countryside. Dunstable Downs, an area of natural beauty, sits on one of the highest points of Bedfordshire. If you took a walk along the scenic paths and peered at the homes below, you would have no idea what was going on inside each one. One of Dunstable's residents was Gary Waddell. 
He was born in Newcastle in 1960. Waddell was raised in the northeast, living with his parents Maureen and David, and his two brothers. Waddell had had what most would consider a reasonably uneventful upbringing, aside from a surreal incident in 1980 when his father was knocked unconscious by a clown driving a car similar to the one seen in the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Waddell served in the armed forces and then spent some time working for the police. By 2007, he was living in Dunstable with his wife of 21 years, Sandra, along with their three children, two daughters who were 12 and 7, and a 10-year-old son. Sandra was employed as a nurse at Luton and Dunstable Hospital. She also worked as an invigilator during exam season at Queensbury School. On January 30th, 2007, Sandra Waddell left the school at around 11.25am and returned home. When Sandra did not arrive later in the day to collect her children and could not be contacted, the neighbours offered to help look after the youngsters as Inspector Gary Waddell was still at work with the Metropolitan Police. When Waddell finished his shift... He went directly to his neighbours, asking for some assistance to search the home as they looked for his wife. Sandra's car was parked in the driveway as usual. They searched through the property, but they did not find Sandra. The children were taken home and after getting them to school the next morning, Gary Waddell knocked at his neighbour's door. Distraught, he explained he had just found Sandra in the garage. It appeared as though the 44-year-old mother of three had taken her own life. A type note was recovered close to Sandra's body. It read, Gary, I am typing this note because I know that if I were to handwrite it and leave it for you, then I know you wouldn't read it. I'm so sorry for all the hurt I have caused you, Gary. I never meant to hurt you or cause you so much pain. I made a stupid mistake, and I betrayed your trust, and I betrayed my family at the same time. I don't know what made me do what I did. I wish the whole thing had never happened. It all got out of hand. I have ended up with nothing. You are kind to want to forgive me. I don't deserve your forgiveness. When you think of me, just try and think of the happier times. Sandra Jane Waddell The note was taken for evidence as the body was transported to the morgue for a post-mortem. Sandra's cause of death was concluded to be ligature strangulation. A cable tie was found around her neck. When Gary Waddell spoke with the police, he said he had been unable to access the garage from the outside, so he entered through an internal door and subsequently discovered his wife's body. He believed she must have killed herself the day prior, 
and provided details as to why she may have done so. Waddell said that a few weeks earlier, he had discovered Sandra was having an affair and described his wife's behaviour afterwards as irrational. He went on to say that he had been working in the garden at around 11.30am on January 30th when Sandra arrived home. According to Waddell, the couple started to argue and Sandra became abusive and inconsolable, crying for over an hour. Waddell said that to get away from the situation, he had left to go to work an hour and a half earlier than scheduled. Gary Waddell was informed by his fellow colleagues that his wife and mother to his children had likely taken her own life, so he was allowed to return home. The note supposedly left by Sandra Waddell was analysed, and perplexingly there were no fingerprints found on the sheet of paper. However, something was discovered. Marks consistent with a gloved hand. The alleged suicide note was sent to a forensic linguistics examiner, John Olson. Olson found there were discrepancies between documents Sandra was known to have written and the note she apparently left on the garage floor before she took her own life. Sandra usually wrote long sentences and misplaced punctuation, particularly commas, semicolons and apostrophes. The beginning of the typed note was addressed to Gary Waddell, using just his first name, followed by a full stop. The sentences were relatively short, and Sandra's name at the bottom of the document was positioned in the centre of the page, something she never did in other letters. However, these features were seen in letters her husband had typed. Technical experts also analysed the hard drive of the family's computer. They discovered that a Word document had been created just after 10.15am on the morning of January 30th, and the computer was switched off at 10.29am. Detectives knew that Sandra had not been home during this period of time because she had been working at the school as an invigilator. The only person in the house was Gary Waddell. Sandra Waddell's body was released into her husband's care so funeral arrangements could be made but the post-mortem report concluded that Sandra had not taken her own life. The pathologist found bruises and abrasions on Sandra's hands, as though she had been in a physical altercation. There was also an abrasion on the left side of her neck. The cable tie had been pulled up and back towards the left side of her throat, something inconsistent with a self-inflicted injury. The use of cable ties in suicides was almost unheard of. In fact, the only time cable ties had been used to inflict death had been in murder cases. Investigators also found a diary belonging to Sandra, which indicated she had future plans, and those who knew were aware that she wanted a divorce. 
The evidence was mounting against him, and several months later Gary Waddell was arrested on June 26th. He was charged with murder at Amp Hill Police Station the following day. Waddell was taken to Luton Magistrates Court for an initial hearing, and officers discovered he was concealing a cable hidden within his sock. Waddell had stolen a television cable from the interview room and told an officer that he, quote, just wanted to go to sleep. Daryl Ingrams applied for bail on his client's behalf. The solicitor told the judge that the defendant's occupation as a police officer would put him at risk if he were to be held in prison until the trial. The Crown Prosecution Service argued that the case against Gary Waddell was strong. They opposed any application for bail on the grounds that if it were granted, Waddell would abscond, interfere with witnesses, and potentially take his own life to avoid prosecution. Addressing the submission, Judge Bevan said, I regard the first ground of objection to bail as a potential ground. The second ground falls away, but at present and without prejudging any future bail application, I am convinced there are substantial grounds to believe that it would be wrong to grant bail in relation to his own protection. I am not so concerned about the children, but in the case of him there is a comment, which is denied, in relation to this cable secreted around his ankle, which gives me genuine cause for concern about his own welfare. That may or may not be resolved in the light of the psychiatric report. I am certainly not saying that if there is a favourable psychiatric report, he will get bail, but at the moment that I regard as an insuperable hurdle. The psychiatrist testified at a subsequent hearing and concluded that he did not believe Gary Waddell was suicidal. The defendant had said the cable was only for his own amusement, as there was not much to do in his cell. The report authored by the psychiatrist said there was no evidence of any significant emotional or behavioural disorders in Waddell's history. He had a successful career with the police and was, quote, an industrious, conscientious family man. The psychiatrist told the presiding judge, I was satisfied his account to me was cogent and I was not concerned to consider it to be a form of ligature-inducing device. At the hearing at Ipswich Crown Court, Gary Waddell's barrister, his brother Geoffrey, offered to be a surety, paying bail amounting to £200,000. Geoffrey Waddell would also let his siblings stay at his home with his wife and children in Surrey. The prosecutor Sarah Brown outlined the Crown's case against Gary Waddell, contending that there was no evidence that Sandra had been suffering from depression at the time. A diary entry suggested she was planning for her future, and that future did not have a place for her husband. A linguistics expert had found that it was highly likely that Gary Waddell had forged the apparent suicide note. The pathologist found injuries inconsistent with suicide, 
and Gary Waddell's behaviour after Sandra did not collect the children was out of the ordinary. He had not searched the garage, and whenever he went to look for her, Waddell asked a neighbour to come with him, as though he sought a corroborating witness. It was also revealed that Waddell had been seen with a new girlfriend within weeks of Sandra's death. The defence argued that there was evidence to counter the Crown's case, and the strength of the evidence against Waddell was disputed. Surprisingly, Judge John Bevan would grant Gary Waddell bail on the condition that he did not step foot in Bedfordshire. Waddell had to stay with his brother in Woking, was required to surrender his passport, sign in to Woking Police Station twice daily and could only have supervised visits with his children once a week. Judge Bevan said, I have wrestled with the problem with bail in this case, not only today in my mind but on previous occasions. I do not find it by any means an easy decision balancing the gravity of the case on the one hand with the fact that the defendant is undoubtedly a professional man with strong roots in relation to his children and financial position, and on the other hand trying to balance as well as all of that, the fact that one has to look at a case, not even on paper at this stage, but I have treated it as a circumstantial case of reasonable strength. Nothing that I say is designed to belittle the strength of the Crown's case, but having listened to the psychiatrist in relation to his psychiatric state, and he tells me that he has no concerns in that regard about his mental condition, and having listened to and considered the overall picture, whilst I make no comment whatever on the strength or weakness of the case, I'm just persuaded that it is a suitable case for bail provided the conditions are stringent enough. In September 2007, Gary Waddell was released on his own recognizance and ordered to comply with the conditions of what Judge Bevan called a borderline decision. At a pre-trial hearing on November 2nd, it emerged that Waddell had breached the conditions of his bail twice and had been arrested that morning. He contacted his children's guardian and he was also seen in Bedfordshire. In the first instance, Gary Waddell said that he had only momentarily been in the same room with his children's guardian while at a supervised access visit at a contact centre. In the second instance... He admitted to being at a pub in Bedfordshire, but said it was only 60 metres from the Hertfordshire boundary. The police discovered the breach after the pub landlady observed a man acting suspiciously in the car park and taking photographs of the pub. She proactively took a picture of him before the police arrived. Gary Woodell claimed that he had arranged to meet his mother there, and took photographs to establish whether or not there was CCTV which could help his case in the murder trial. The judge found that these were only minor breaches, and Gary Waddell was again placed on bail under the same conditions as before. Before. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. In January 2008, Gary Waddell had been freed on bail for almost four months while awaiting the trial, provisionally set for May. His defence team were informed that Sandra's mother, 70-year-old Talta Maxfield, would be testifying for the prosecution. On January 11th, Waddell armed himself with a shotgun taken from a clay pigeon shooting club and made his way to Gusted Wood in Hertfordshire. He had spent weeks planning and preparing what he would do, taking shooting lessons at a local gun club, staking out the area and timing his attack. Tauta Maxfield was born in Denmark, 
and she moved into a lavish home in Gusted Wood in 1998 with her husband William. Tauter cared for William before his death in June the previous year, and she was now living alone. She had just returned from a five-week trip to New Zealand for her granddaughter's wedding. Tauter had been accompanied by the Waddell children for the happy occasion. Tauter knew from the start that her daughter would not have killed herself. Sandra had confided to her mother that she wanted to get a divorce, and Tauter had assured Sandra that she would give her financial and emotional support when she made a decision. Family friend Brian Japani later told reporters, Tauter said Sandra was unhappy in her marriage, and that's why she embarked on an affair. She never believed for a second Sandra committed suicide. The family were devoutly Christian, and Tauter regularly attended St. Helen's Church in Wheat Hampstead. Sandra had also been religious. She was devoted to her children and her work as a nurse, so it did not seem plausible that Sandra would have taken her own life. After Sandra's death, Tauter had tried to surround her grandchildren with people who loved them, and following their father's arrest, Tauter was sure they would be looked after by her son, Paul. Tauter was also concerned for her own safety, following the release of her daughter's alleged killer. Her friend Suzanne Locks later told the press, Tauter was terribly worried when he got let out on bail. She certainly didn't trust him. She thought he was capable of anything. Tauter Maxfield was right to be afraid, as Gary Waddell was waiting for her in the living room when she arrived home on January 11th. He was carrying a duffel bag containing ammunition and a loaded shotgun. He aimed the weapon at his mother-in-law, firing twice, hitting her in the groin and the neck. After killing Tauter Maxfield... Gary Waddell travelled to a pub and began to drink. While sitting at the bar, he heard a police helicopter flying overhead. Unnerved, he got back into his car and began driving toward where his brother-in-law lived. But as Waddell travelled down the road, he diverted towards the gun club, likely fearing the touter's body had been found and the police were searching for him. He dumped the duffel bag and made his way to a wooden shelter in the woodland close to the Broomhill Shooting Club before turning the gun on himself and pulling the trigger. Gary Waddell's body was discovered the following morning and the police went to inform his wider relatives. When officers arrived at one of the properties, they received no answer. After learning more about the situation, they became concerned for the homeowner, Tauter Maxfield, and gained access to the home. They found Tauter dead on the living room floor. 
at the time Tauta's son Paul had custody of the Waddell's children. His mother-in-law Patsy Mowbray spoke to the press after Tauta's body was discovered and said, Gary had been seeing the children under supervision every Saturday, but when he didn't turn up yesterday, they tried calling him. He didn't answer and now we know why. The whole family is in shock. The children have not only lost their mother, but they have lost their grandmother as well, who loved them dearly. They are heartbroken. It's just terrible for them. Anyone could do this is evil. I saw the children yesterday, and they are absolutely heartbroken. They can't even begin to understand what's happened here. They are devastated. They have never got over losing their mother, but now their father and grandmother have gone too. Tauta and I went round to see the children last Tuesday, and I remember she was talking about Sandra and how this time last year she was still with us. She was quite upset that we were coming up to the first anniversary of her death. The family were torn apart by Sandra's death. They never got over it or forgot it. She has constantly been on their minds. I never had any doubts that Gary killed her. Tauter was going to give evidence at his trial. Because remember why. She wanted to get justice for Sandra. We all did. Tauter's friend Suzanne was stunned by what had happened and remarked, She was only with us on Friday. She came and helped me dismantle the Christmas tree and decorations in the little church here. Poor Tauter. What a dreadful end. She devoted the last few years of her life looking after her elderly husband and was absolutely wonderful with him. She had worked as a carer, which is how she met her husband. It was a 999 call from this gun club which alerted police to the double killing. People living in this tiny hamlet expressed their shock at what had happened. The police too are known to be furious about the decision to free a man who killed again. And the Attorney General is now investigating what happened after pressure from, among others, the local MP. as the public were incensed that an accused killer was freed on bail to kill again. The Attorney General began investigating the case. A reporter for the Evening Standard spoke to Judge John Bevan, who had been the one to grant the bail request. He was lambasted in the media for saying that he could not recall the reasons why Gary Waddell was allowed to remain out of prison. Nick Herbert, the Shadow Justice Secretary, said in response to the outcry, This case raises very serious questions, and the public will find it extraordinary that anybody on a murder charge should be given bail. It is very unusual, and there should be a full inquiry into why it happened. There were calls for an inquiry into why Gary Waddell was granted bail despite the opposition from the Crown Prosecution Service, because Tauter Maxfield's death was seen as wholly avoidable. Waddell was a, quote, dangerous man who should have been kept in custody. 
Hemel Hempstead MP Mike Penning wrote to the Attorney General and asked for the transcripts from the bail hearings to be released. Why was he on bail? Why wasn't he on remand for a very, very serious uh, case? He was due to go to court in May. Why was he released with some conditions, some of them don't appear to have been adhered to? Why was the public put at risk? Why were witnesses put at risk? These answers must come out from the Attorney General, which is why I've written to her today, asking her to review the case. Penning went on to say, There are two people now dead who would be alive today if he had not been released on bail. It is the court's duty to protect the public, witnesses, and for that matter, defendants from harming themselves. Yet again, a judge has made a decision that seems to go against natural justice. There are many questions that arise from this tragic case. One is about the amount of bail money itself. It doesn't make sense to me that because Mr Waddell was in the lucky position of being able to raise £200,000, that makes him any less of a risk to the community. Gary Waddell's bond surety had been offered by his brother Geoffrey. After Waddell had killed Talter Maxfield and then turned the gun on himself, the murder case was closed and the CPS had to consider if Geoffrey Waddell would be liable for the £200,000 bond. It was eventually decided that he would not have to pay, because he could not have known that Waddell would kill himself in order to avoid standing trial. Towter Maxfield's funeral was held at St Helens. Tributes came from members of the local church, such as Reverend Janet Spicer and Vicar Andrew Doyle. Reverend Spicer said that Towter was one of their Sunday school teachers and she was greatly loved. Vicar Doyle spoke of how the congregation of St Helens and the people of Gusted Wood would miss Towter dearly. He said she was a generous and prayerful person a lady who sparked with a light humour and who met you with a deeply compassionate heart. After a selection of hymns were sung at the funeral mass, Talter Maxfield was buried next to her husband, William. Following her death, Talter's sons released a statement through the police. It read, Mum was a loving, caring and kind person who had a genuine zest for life and an infectious sense of humour. At Christmas she was even joining in with the grandchildren on the Nintendo Wii and laughing about how her arm would ache for a week. Loved ones said that Sandra Waddell had shared many of her mother's qualities, such as her love for the church, a talent at needlework, and her devotion to her children and community. A huge void had been left in the lives of those loved ones left behind. Words alone could not describe their sense of loss following the death of their mother and sister. Tauta's sons concluded their statement by saying, We want to sincerely thank all of those who have telephoned or sent messages of condolence. They have been greatly received and are helping us to carry on at a terribly bleak time for us. 
Sandra's twin sister Lisa had travelled from New Zealand following the second tragedy to befall the family at the hands of Gary Waddell. Lisa's children spoke to a correspondent for the news media website Stuff in New Zealand. They said their mother was just getting over losing her sister when Tauta was killed. Lisa's daughter Laura, whose wedding Tauta had attended just months prior, told the press that she also felt that Gary Waddell should not have been granted bail. Quote, It should never have been possible for him to do it. He should never have been free. It's a tragedy this has happened, and it's a shame all the attention is on it now, instead of last year when the decisions were made. Lisa's son Daniel believed that Gary Waddell had taken the coward's way out. There will now be at least two major strands to the official inquiry. One will look at legal matters to find out just how it was that a man facing a murder charge was released on bail. He changed his clothes and he was sitting at this pub relaxing with a drink. A member of staff at the pub joked that the police were looking for someone inside and that joke could have been enough to change Waddell's plans to carry on killing. At an inquest overseen by Coroner David Morris, more details emerged about Gary Waddell's alleged crimes and the systematic failures that allowed him to kill again. Waddell had been seen in Woking on the day before he killed Tauta Maxfield, so it was believed that he had been waiting to kill her for almost 24 hours. After taking clay pigeon shooting lessons, he had stolen a double-barreled shotgun from the gun club a month earlier. He had brought a duffel bag containing ammunition, clothing, gloves and a pellet gun. A note had been found outlining his wishes for his children to inherit any of his property or money once they turned 21. Officers surmised that Waddell may have thought the children would inherit even more if Tauter was dead. It was also theorised that, as it was possible, Gary and Sandra Waddell's children were going to move to New Zealand to live with their aunt. Waddell had initially sought to go on a killing spree, before changing direction and shooting himself instead. Detective Chief Inspector Sean O'Neill spoke at the inquest and said, the investigation team believed that Gary Waddell was possibly en route to carry out another attack, but had been worried about the helicopter overhead. We believe he intended to finish the day with the taking of his own life. We believe that he killed Tauta Maxfield, but the route he had taken was a natural drive to the Dunstable and Leighton Buzzard area. It is our belief he intended to kill other family members. But because of the helicopter, we believe he thought we were aware of his presence, and he panicked. The coroner ruled that Gary Waddell had unlawfully killed Sandra Waddell and Tauta Maxfield, and then took his own life. A statement from the family was read by the police following the coroner's verdict. 
it is impossible to describe the utter hurt and devastation the selfish coward has been able to cause to our family and his own children. We thank everyone who knew our unique and precious mother and sister for their continued support as we attempt to rebuild our lives and correct the injustices Sandra and Tauter and their loved ones have suffered. So where are we now? The Ministry of Justice released a report in 2008 that any further restrictions on bail would likely be a breach of human rights. At the time, Justice Secretary Jack Straw said it was vital to ensure that the courts strike the right balance between respecting an individual's right to liberty and respecting the public. Sandra Waddell's brother Paul addressed Parliament in April of that year. He said that he believed that Gary Waddell's occupation and wealth had been a factor in the judge's decision to grant bail. Then, one in seven people awaiting trial for murder had been granted bail, and 75% of those charged with manslaughter had also been freed on bond. This was especially alarming as one in six murders were committed by someone who was out on bail for another offence. Sandra's children had been orphaned by their father's actions, and their Aunt Lisa planned to adopt them and bring them to live with her in New Zealand. Lisa said, It's a lovely opportunity to bring some good into their lives, and a little bit of stability and a fresh start. I think the children are looking forward to a bright future, rather than looking back at a bleak past. Lisa also spoke about the effect the tragedy continued to have on their lives, even though the investigation and inquests had concluded. She said, It might be done and dusted for those who have been doing the investigation, but this has changed our lives forever. This is the start of the ever after. We're having to pick up the pieces now and get on with what's left. In terms of the impact on our lives, this is the tip of the iceberg. There are not enough words to describe the impact. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.